Let's get to our message today. It comes from Philemon. We're going to preach through the book of Philemon during this lockdown. And our our passage today comes from verses 1 to 3. So let's read this one together. Philemon 1 to 3. There's only one chapter, so it's only verses, okay? Uh, the Word of God reads, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Yes, it's hard during lockdown. But Lord, it's so and it's so easy for us just to look at all the negatives, all the things we don't have, all the things we can't do. But Father, we see every single day that you give us breath and life that you're starting to reveal to us what really matters and what really counts in life. And Father, even, you know, you're helping us see through all the social media. You're helping us see through all these other um, distractions so that we can really just love you and connect with your people and to love your people with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Continue to do that within our church, just as you've been doing. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in our family, we always tell our kids to never stick out their hands when we're driving in the car. Do you guys do this? Is your family like this? Maybe you were, maybe you grew up like that. We always tell our kids, never stick your hands out, your arms out, you know, of the car. But just the other day, we were driving within our five kilometer radius because we follow the rules. Anyway, and we saw that our, our oldest son was sticking his arm out, out of the car. So we're like, hey. We told, didn't we tell you not to do that? And he, he turns to us, he's like, yeah, but Appa's doing it. You know, dad's doing it. And sure enough, I was, you know, my arm was fully extended outside the car. I love sticking my arm outside. I love the feeling of the wind on me. I know that kind of stuff, whatever, you know, but you know, so here's the question. Do you think my kid's ever gonna learn to keep his hands inside of the car if his father's always like flailing his arms outside of the car? No, he has no chance, you know, to learn. Hypocrisy is like the worst teacher in the world. And all I'm trying to say through all this is, you know, what you do transfers a lot more powerfully than what you say. You know, what you do transfers a lot more powerfully, impacts people a lot more powerfully than what you say. Isn't that true? And believe it or not, there's only three verses that we're reading today. But Paul is actually doing that in these verses. He is doing something that he wants Philemon to follow. And I know you're like, what? I just thought this was just an introduction to a letter. And it is, but you have to realize that it's absolutely loaded. And maybe when I explain, uh, the, when I recap the story for you, maybe you'll, you'll finally get why. You know, um, Paul writes this letter to his friend and his partner in the gospel, Philemon, who just happens to be the owner of a runaway slave slash thief, Onesimus. And so Paul's writing this letter to Philemon, asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to now treat him as a brother in Christ. Now, what you have to realize is this is a ridiculously huge ask, you know, because uh, according to Roman law and culture, any runaway slave, you know, can deserves death. So Onesimus actually deserves death. And everybody from the people in his church to all the people around him in society fully expect, would fully expect Philemon to put Onesimus to death. That's what owners did to runaway slaves slash thieves. 
So to go against that and to and to spare Onesimus's life could mean many many different challenging outcomes for Philemon. You know, he might it could mean anger, it could mean persecution from other slave owners. You know, maybe it would cause other slaves to try and escape. And if they got caught, they can just say, oh, hey, I became a Christian. So you have to forgive me and not kill me. You know, it could also mean that maybe people in his, in society or people even inside the church will respect him a lot less for not exercising his authority in the expected approved way. You know, so if you understand all that, according to society, to not put Onesimus to death is a bad decision for Philemon. Do you guys understand that? Do you guys see this? It's a huge ask. And because it is, Paul is very strategic in how he formulates this letter. Like every word that he uses is absolutely calculated because he wants Philemon to act graciously and to go against all those social pressures. That's why these three verses are so loaded. But the theme of these three verses is extremely clear. I think that theme is stated best in 1 Corinthians 1.11. Let's read that together. 1 Corinthians 1.11 says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is Paul saying that. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And Paul's argument is very simple. He's saying this. He's saying, look, I'm doing all that I can to follow Jesus. Now you, Philemon, I want you to imitate me. I want you to follow me. And not only is this the the argument that Paul makes to Philemon, but this is God's plea for me and you in the church today. He wants us to live such lives of example that people, as they follow us, would be transformed and changed to become like Jesus. So to make that crystal clear, there are two points in our message today. And the first one is follow the example of Christ. And the second one is set that example for our church. The first point is follow the example of Christ. Verse one says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. You know, Paul usually starts all of his letters by bragging about what Jesus Christ did for his life. You know, I'm Paul, saved by grace, a disciple by the you know, love and grace of Jesus Christ. He always starts his letters like this. But here, he starts this letter describing himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And this is the only letter in the New Testament in which that starts out like this. So the question is why? Why does he do that? And the answer is because he wants to humble himself in front of Philemon. And this is what I mean. You know, back then, 2,000 years ago, to be thrown in prison was one of the most shameful things that could happen to you. It was extremely shameful to end up in jail. And so it's very bizarre to start out a letter sharing the most shameful thing in your life, isn't it? It's absolutely bizarre that something like that happens, but that's exactly what he does here. So why does he do this? Well, he's actually setting an example that he wants Philemon to follow. And Paul wants Philemon to follow in two ways. And the first is this. Paul is actually emptying himself of any type of authority that he might have over Philemon as his older brother or maybe a spiritual father in Christ. He doesn't want to leverage his authority or to use it in any way. And so if you think about it in that way, he's actually honoring Philemon as the greater party, right? You are above me. And the reason why is because Paul is about to ask Philemon to empty himself as well, to empty himself of his rights and his authority over Onesimus, isn't he? Isn't that crazy? Anyway, 
so Paul does this first. He sets the example. And secondly, he does it because he wants Philemon to have this never compromising passion for the gospel. Paul's basically saying this. He's saying, look, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm paying this huge price to follow the example of Christ in my life. Look, I'm in jail. That's proof. People look down on me. Many of my friends are ashamed of me, but I don't care. I live for Christ in the gospel, and I am still going to imitate Christ and live out that gospel boldly, no matter what it costs me, no matter what anyone thinks of me. And the fact that I'm a prisoner is absolute proof of that. And so, and now Paul is going to ask Philemon to pay those same costs himself for the sake of the gospel. He's going to ask Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to reconcile with Onesimus and to restore him back into the church, which is going to cost Philemon respect and standing. And it might even welcome persecution from others. But that's what the gospel calls us to do, isn't it? And as Paul's imprisonment proves it, he now calls Philemon to do exactly the same. You know, there's a huge cost in following Jesus. There is, you know. I mean, even Jesus says so. If you want to follow me, you got to pay the price. You got to count the cost. You know, many times following the example of Christ in our lives, though, it's not really a matter. You know, the cost doesn't come in the sense that we don't know what he's calling us to do. You know, a lot of times we know what God's calling us to do. We know the commands. We know what we're supposed to be obeying. But it's a matter of whether we're good, we're willing to die to our pride. We're willing to die to our fear. If we're willing to put down our rights or lay aside our preferences or our reasonings in order to obey Christ, his word, and follow his example, right? And I think that's one of the toughest things about faith. I mean, just think about it yourself. What's one command that you know you don't obey very well? What's one command that just, you know, you just can't do it or you don't want to do it? And here's the question. Why don't you? My guess is that it's probably because of one of those reasons that I just stated. You know, for myself, I actually don't evangelize very much, you know, which is shameful of me. But, you know, and the thing is, evangelism is simple, isn't it? You just have to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus or someone who doesn't follow after Jesus. And, you know, there's non-believers around me all the time, my neighbors, my friends. But why don't I do it? I mean, I know how to share the gospel, but ultimately I don't do it. Do you know why? It's because I'm scared. You know, I don't want... People thinking that I'm a religious freak, even though I'm a pastor. I want them to think I'm a cool pastor and not like one of those religious freak pastors. You know, and I don't want to be intrusive in my non-Christian relationships. You know, I, I feel like the moment I share something with them, it's going to go awkward. All my whole relationship's going to change with them. Everything's going to change the moment I share about Jesus. And, and there's a part of me that doesn't want that. But I, the reality is I need to die to that. I need to be convinced that they need Jesus more then I need to fear losing them as a friend. I got to trust in God with that, don't I? Right? You know, another area that I struggle with is my marriage. You know, I know that I'm supposed to point my wife to Jesus. I'm supposed to be this godly example to her in every single way. But can I be very frank with you? When we start to argue, all that's out the door. You know, I just want to win. You know, by the second second of that argument, my pride kicks in. I don't even know what we're arguing about anymore, but I am going to do everything I can to win that argument, you know, and to prove her wrong. But by winning, I lose, don't I? I lose. 
I might win the argument, but I lose my wife and I lose her in my marriage or I lose in my marriage. And it happens a lot. But I need to die to that, to that pride in order to build her. I need to die to that pride in order to you know, lift her up and to point her to Jesus, don't I? You know, a lot of times it's not a matter of not knowing what to do. It's not a matter of not knowing what to obey or how to follow after Jesus. It's a matter of whether we're willing to die to ourselves, deny ourselves, lay down our rights, carry our crosses so that he can shine and not us. You know, maybe a passage that describes exactly how Jesus did it will help us follow him. So let's look at the example of Christ together. And, 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 and maybe looking at this example, we can follow Jesus better from Philippians 2. Verses 3 to 8. Let's look at this together. Philippians 2, 3 to 8 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That's what Paul did. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is his mindset. Who, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't leverage any of that. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 7 and 8 say that Jesus emptied himself so that he could obey God. And that's the key to faithfulness, isn't it? Emptying ourselves of us so that we can obey. And when Jesus did that, what happened? That's when we got life. Jesus emptied himself to obey God. Paul emptied himself to follow Christ. Paul is going to ask Philemon to empty himself to follow Christ. And God is teaching us today that we need to continually empty ourselves of our pride, fear, rights, reasoning, so that others can have life through our obedience to God. That's how we follow after Christ. That's how we set the example to follow after Christ. So here's the application for our first point. Think of an area of your faith that you continually struggle in following Christ's example. Maybe it's in forgiveness. Maybe it's evangelism. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's living eternally at your workplace or at home. Maybe it's certain habitual sins you know, that you have. There are so many things that we can choose from. Just choose one area of your faith and ask yourself, what's the core issue that you need to lay down in order to be faithful in this area? That's our first point. Let's go to the second point. And you've already applied it almost. Set the example of Christ for our church. Verse 2 and 3 says this, Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you have to realize these are some incredible verses. I know it sounds like whatever, whatever, but it isn't. Who's Aphia? Most people believe, most theologians believe that she's Philemon's wife. And once again, back women back in the day, they had no value or rights themselves. So, you know, this letter is about what are you going to do with Onesimus Philemon? And that was a man's decision. That was the head of the household's decision. So it's totally unnecessary for Paul to address Aphia in this particular letter. Yet he does so personally. And so the question is why? Why does he does why does he do that if he doesn't have to? And it's wonderful because he does it because Paul is being sensitive to how this particular gospel decision is going to affect the household 
and how this particular gospel decision is going to affect Philemon's marriage. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you know, it, it just proves to me once again that God never marginalizes the orphan, the widow, the outcast, the undervalued in society. He doesn't operate like the world does. He cares. And this one verse shows that they are always in his heart. And I love that. He also addresses Archippus. We talked about him in our Colossian series. He's a gospel partner of Philemon and Paul. And since we talked about him already, I'm not going to talk about him. We'll leave it at that. But let's get to the last interesting recipient of this letter. He then writes to the church that meets in your home. And Paul addresses this letter to the whole church. So why does he do that? And he does it for two reasons. The first reason is this. It's because this gospel decision to forgive Onesimus affects the whole church, doesn't it? There were other slave owners in the church. There were other slaves in the church. They may not have all been on the same page. They're probably not on the same page on what to do with Onesimus. But now they're going to hear exactly what God wants them to do. And this decision to forgive a runaway slave thief was absolutely monumental. Not only in the precedent that it would set for the whole church, but, in, but especially in how God wants to change their hearts to reflect the gospel and to reflect Christ and for them to become examples of Christ for that church. It's amazing. Even in the bigger picture, if you think about it, if, we fo- if they follow this gospel example, it's taking that, that step towards really destroying the institution of slavery itself. So Paul really wanted to see the church change. But secondly, he addresses the church because he wants to put public pressure on Philemon to follow the example of of Christ. Paul is asking Philemon, who's one of the leaders of the church, to set the gospel example for the whole church to see. And his argument here is very simple. He's saying, Philemon, hey, Christ forgave you when your offenses were so great that the only way that you could have been forgiven was for Christ to die for you. He reconciled you when you were a sinner, when you were an enemy, and when you personally wronged him in every single way. So follow Christ's Example for your church. Set it for your church. Forgive Onesimus. Restore Onesimus, no matter how great his offenses are to you, just as Christ forgave you. Set that gospel example for the whole church to see. And I know when we think about that, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Eddie, isn't that a little bit unfair? Isn't that a little manipulative? I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on somebody. It's almost unfair. And on one angle, you can totally see it that way. And I totally get it. But the reality is that all of us are actually called to be gospel examples, not just personally within our lives, but publicly to everybody else, not only in our churches, but to the world. All of us are called to model the gospel in every way to everyone. But it's not to show off our faith. You know, we're not here to show off our faith or to, or to become hypocrites and just look good on the outside. No. But we do it because we're convinced that living out the gospel pleases the Lord. And that living faithfully to the gospel changes other people's lives. People are going to look at us living for God and trying to live for God. And they're going to be influenced. They're going to be changed as well. You know what I'm saying? Just like to go back to my original, you know, people learn from what they see. From what they see you do and not what they hear you say, right? Follow your example. And this is what I mean. You know, when I was, you know, I wasn't a Christian in high school, but I went to church. I was part of a youth group. And to say it simply, I wasn't a bad kid, but I gave my youth pastor so much grief. 
you know. <laughs> but no matter how many times that I would break his heart and disappoint him, he would call me. He would call me every week, you know, at home just to see how I was doing as if, you know, I never hurt him. You know, when he called, I, if I knew he did something bad, he would call and I'd be like, oh no, he's going to chew me out. But he would then be like, oh, positive, And he would like love me and welcome me. And that was the first time in my whole life as a non-Christian that I was like, wow, these Christians are different, you know? And quite honestly, that example still drives how I pastor today. You know, I try never to hold any grudges nor to remember people's faults against me in any way. And that's huge. I, I, was, I saw that and I experienced that. You know, after I became a Christian, I learned a lot about Jesus and the Bible and church, even in seminary. But just like I've been saying before, my life was actually impacted and influenced most powerfully by people who lived out their faith boldly in front of my eyes. You know, I learned prayer from this guy. I learned from two people. And one guy that I learned very powerfully from was a guy who was my age when I became a Christian. And he would always be like, Eddie, you know, I'm not going to talk to you unless I spend time with God first, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, okay, so if you want to talk to me, if you want to hang out, then, you know, I'm done with prayer. I'll be at this church at this time. Why don't you wait for me there? And when I'm done, we can hang out. And I'll be like, okay. And I, a lot of times I'd rock up and he'd still be praying. I'd do nothing else. So I start praying myself. And then I started to really understand, wow, he's never going to talk to me unless he's met, met with God first, unless he's prayed to God about me and our relationship first. And that makes a huge impact. That's still what I do today. I, I don't call somebody. I try not to chat with somebody too much. I, I, I don't come to meetings unless I've really prayed about it. And I've asked God, you know, what, what do you think about every person that's going to attend that meeting? Or at least I try to. That example changed my life. You know, I learned evangelism from my roommate who used to ask me all the time to go out to the quad, you know, to share the gospel. After I became a preacher, one of... Uh, one of the preachers that I respect the most in this world asked me if I wanted his help in becoming a better preacher. And so he had me follow him around as he preached in different places and in different contexts. And then he would follow me around and hear me preach. And then we would debrief together, critique everything and rewrite sermons together to make them better. You know, because these people set that example for me. My life was literally changed. And except for the last guy, none of those guys were leaders. In the church, they were just passionate believers who wanted to be like Jesus. And this is what the church needs from all of you. Your obedience makes a difference. Your commitment to Christ makes a difference. Your commitment to live out the gospel and to live out a gospel example in your life makes an impact. It changes lives. Because when you follow Jesus so that other people can see it, it makes them want to follow Jesus too. Aren't you guys experiencing that a little bit these days? You know, I've been hearing that some of your CG chat rooms are going off. You know, because you guys, we all started the devotional thing in September. And, and, and I love hearing this feedback from CG leaders um, they're telling me that it's going so well and people are doing devotionals, they're sharing together. But more than that, how encouraging is it that there are people around you that are seeking after God and then writing something about it in your chat room every day? I mean, that's so inspiring. That's so challenging in such a healthy and powerful way, isn't it? And it just reminds us, it reminds us all how powerful and significant the power of example really is is. I mean, how many times have you been more inspired by people living for Jesus than a sermon? 
right? That's me. That's all the time. I, I get inspired by sermons, but I get challenged and inspired by people living for Jesus. You know, I, today I know I shared a lot of stories about people's strength and successes, but you know what the reality is? The reality is, is that I probably learn more and I probably get inspired more by seeing Christians rebounding from their failures. You know, they're the ones that constantly challenge and encourage me by having this never say died attitude, never say die commitment to be like Jesus, even though they continually fail. I love that. You know, I'm sure Philemon was like that too. You know, it's as if as if Philemon didn't know what the correct gospel decision was. You know, Christ forgave us. Of course, he has to forgive and restore Onesimus. But it's not like his heart was there, right? Your heart just doesn't go there because you're concerned about so many other things. Pride, fear, whatever it is. And so this church got to see this church leader, Philemon. They got to see this man of God struggle and change to get there. Which, to me, might have been a much more powerful example to see. This powerful example of holiness to see than perfection itself. You know, we, we need people like that in the church, don't we? People who know that they're not perfect, but are committed to conforming themselves to Christ and to never give up no matter how many times they fail. I don't know about you, but I want to go to a church with people like that. I don't want to go to a church with people who are perfect. I want to go to a church with people who are imperfect, but yet will never give up because they believe in God. They believe in Jesus. They they know that the Holy Spirit's working within them. And it's not about being successful. It's not about being perfect, but it's simply living a life that wants to honor and please God, even through our failures and imperfections, right? So the question is, Eddie, I want to do that. I want to be that guy. And I know you do. But how do we get there? How does a heart that knows what to do, but doesn't want to do it, get there? How do we become that? And the answer is actually in verse 3. Verse 3 says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the grace of God because we can't do it by our own power. We can't do it by ourselves. We need this shalom peace, this holistic well-being. We need to have our confidence in Christ alone in order to get there because we can't do it by ourselves we need to be so christ focused and adored by christ that we don't even care if we fail that much we just want to please him so here's the application what's one area of your faith that you want to grow in ask god for his grace and his peace and then Share that area with other people around you so they can start seeing that change in you. All right? Let's make it a little bit public. We're not going to mute and do the unmute thing. We're not going to do that. But maybe this might be something good to share your CG, you know, with your CG this week. What's one area of your faith that you want to grow in? Ask God for his grace, his power, his peace, that you'll love him more than the actual issue itself. And then share that issue with others so that they can see God change your life. That's a pretty big step, isn't it? But that's what's happening in our passage. We were meant to be public examples of the gospel. And I think we should start living, start living that way if we haven't already. You know, to close, I love this book because it's a book that basically says, hey, we all know what's right. We all know what God commands us. It's time we start doing it. And then Paul takes it like one more notch higher. He says, follow me. 
as I follow Jesus. And I think that's like the ultimate statement of confidence, of boldness, to tell someone to follow your example, isn't it? But that's what God wants from each one of us, to live a life that is so passionate about Jesus, that just wants to please Jesus so much that we can actually boldly tell other people, hey, watch me, imitate my life. And if you do, you're going to get closer to Jesus because of my example. Isn't that bold? But we don't say that boldly because we're perfect in any way. But we say it with that kind of confidence and boldness because all of our confidence and boldness is in the God who is working within us and behind us to perfect us. And when people see him in our example, that's when they'll worship him too. That's the heart behind the verse. Follow me as I follow Christ. Let's make that our life goal together as we go through Philemon. Let's pray. Just a really quick time of prayer together. You know, I love that many of you are taking your walk with God more seriously this month. It's absolutely beautiful. Let's continue to dig in deeper into that. But what's one area of your life that you really want to take more seriously? What's one area of your faith that you want to take more seriously? Let's just ask God to give us his grace and his peace so that he can work within us. And then let's ask God, let's be bold enough, say, God, as other people see you change me, use my life to inspire and to change others for you. Will you be bold enough to pray that and then to live it? Let's pray together. I'll close this in prayer and then I'll close with us with the benediction. And then please stick around for an announcement or two. Father, we thank you so much that you're always working within us, that you never give up on us. So God, help us to never give up on our faith and upon you. Lord, we know that we struggle in so many areas within our life. But Father, we're so thankful that it's not perfection that you're looking for within our lives, but it's just the passion that we want you know, to, to want to be like you and to help others do the exact same thing. So, Lord, we need your power. We need your grace. We need your peace, Father. We need to be more in love with you in order to want to be like you. Change our hearts. And, Father, make clear those areas within our lives that we need to surrender so that we can be more like you. Give us this focused courage and drive to want you and to want to be like you so that others' lives, other people's lives can be changed as a result. Lord, we know that's the reason why the church exists, to give each other life in that way. So God, use the lives of all these people here powerfully so that we can give life to each other, so that you can share your life through us 
with each other. We thank you, God, so much. We need you so badly to do that. So empower them. Whatever things that they prayed for, God, we pray that you'll empower them. And Lord, help them to seek after you and to be closer to you as a result. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord radiate his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen.